All right. Thanks for all joining. And let's quickly have a look at our theme of what we call bitachon, trust in Hashem, as it comes through the center of Parshat Vayishlach. Okay, so what we have here is a well-known story to, to us, and that is Yaakov's return from um, outside of Israel to come back into the land of Israel. He's uh, spent uh, 20 years uh, plus um, getting to the point where he can, he's got a whole entire family with him, he's, uh, he's financially well off, uh, and he's ready to come back to, to, to Israel. So he leaves the house of Lavan, and uh, he makes his move across the river. And as you know, um, when he gets across the border, he um, he's, uh, he's trying to work out what the best approach is as far as touching base with Asaph is concerned. That they left on very bad terms. Asaph threatened to kill him. He had stolen his brochas, his birthright, and um, he was totally aggrieved by that. And the question now is, uh, is whether those that time away has allowed Asav to to heal, and is he um, will he take his place as Yaakov's brother, or will he be Yaakov's adversary? And so Yaakov is is um, contemplating all of this, and decides that the best approach forward is to actually go and send um, make contact with Asav, uh, hoping that. Um, hoping that his, his mind would have changed and that uh, he's open to, to being his brother again. Uh, there, are, there are lines of thinking in, the, in Chazal, in Midrashim, that, that, um, that feel that Yaakov made a real mistake here. And they use the famous phrase, you know, you should have let sleeping dogs lie. Because, you know, by waking up the dog, trying to see if you can be friendly with a dog, the chances of him biting you are strong. So um, that's why they, many in the words of the Midrash say that he shouldn't have done it. But nevertheless, he, he reaches out to Asav, he sends him, um, he sends angels to meet him. And that's, um, that's what you see here. Oh, that's what you see here, where, um, where the Pasuk starts off that Yaakov sent angels before him to Asav, his brother, to the land of Seir in the field of Edom. And by a tabotam more, and he charges them, saying, Thus shall you say to cause him, my lord, to Asav. Uh, you know, he's really subjugating himself to Asav to a degree. Uh, so says your servant Yaakov, after journeyed with Lavan and have lingered until now. Uh, you know, anyway, he, and he brings, sends him all these gifts. And uh, he wants to make up with him. So these malachim, these messengers, they uh, they, con they 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 find Asaf, and they uh, they convey Yaakov's um, sentiments to him, and uh, they return to Yaakov to tell him what's going on. The angels return to Yaakov, reporting as follows: We found Asaf. And uh, we're warning you that Asaph is coming toward you with 400 men. Now, 400 men, some in the Midrash explain that 400 men are 400 commanding officers of, uh, of brigades or platoons. 
which means you've got 400 offices and underneath those offices are a good couple of, you know, tens upon tens of men that are soldiers. So he's got an entire army coming toward him. And now the Torah tells us how Yaakov reacted to that. Yaakov became very frightened uh, and it distressed him. And therefore he, he um, approaches this, this uh, phenomenon by doing three things. The first thing he did was he divides the people, uh, means he split the people. Um, and, and, and all that he had, all the, the assets that he had into two separate camps. As if to say, if we really get attacked and suffer casualties, at least the second uh, camp will uh, will be able to escape. This this idea that that Yaakov became really frightened. This interesting concept um, forces us to focus on on this idea, which is called trust in Hashem, what we call bitachon. Or, you know, you have to have bitachon in Hashem. So how do you square this off? Where Yaakov is supposed to be a man of faith, have unlimited almost faith in Hashem, and yet he's, 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 he's afraid. You only are afraid when you don't have, when you don't have faith. That's the general understanding of, of how powerful uh, faith can be. This is what uh, this is what is always a litmus test for us. Um, you know, we, we sometimes think, okay, we trust in Hashem, um, but when you put to the test, the test is when you're in a crisis position and you're not sure what's going to happen, and somehow you don't stress because you've got enough faith in Hashem. Bitachon. The secret to not stressing is to have proper bitachon in Hashem. But it's quite a it's, it's quite a level that you have to reach in order not to stress. We, ask, we expect Yaakov Avinu to be on that level, and yet over here the Torah tells us that he, that he, that he stressed out. So it's interesting that uh, the Rambam, Maimonides, uh, deals with this particular problem, and he offers a, let's call it a simple solution, and he simply says, you know, don't be that surprised that even the greatest of our people um, slip up in this in this in this test. This test is one of the hardest tests you can find, and um, the fact that Jacob is known as a great person and an, and, a, and a prophet, etc. This this does not mean that a person cannot slip up in the area of trusting in Hashem, not to stress at all when you're in crisis, because every single human being is vulnerable to this, and uh, and and the fact that he he slipped up here and had more fear than he should have. Doesn't um, doesn't invalidate his the, his level of greatness. There were others like him, says the Rambam, and uh, I'll show you the Gemara. The, we'll, we'll look at it just now. The Gemara says that the prophet Samuel Shmuel Navi, when he was instructed by Hashem to go uh, source out David Amelech, anoint him, even though Shaul Amelech has, hasn't abdicated. But I want you to anoint David Amelech. And Shaul Amelech is incredibly nervous about doing that because if Shaul Amelech hears that 
he has betrayed him by going to anoint a king while he's still king, um, he's going to kill him. And so Shmuel himself was uh, was nervous about this about this mission that Hashem, um, you know, pushed him into. And so again, there the Rambam says, you see that he also was afraid. Many people are afraid. Uh, it's very very difficult not to be afraid when you're in that level of crisis. So the simple or even simplistic uh, uh, viewpoint of the Rambam is, is that Yaakov, Shmuel, and others who were afraid just haven't mastered the the level of bitachon to the nth degree. And they, they might be a, a mark or two off, they, as holy as they are. That was the Rambam's that was the Rambam's approach to this to this issue. There was a um, a commentary written on this who disagreed with the Rambam and he couldn't understand, you know, why the Rambam would say this because the Gemara, you know, tackles this problem. So he has a Gemara in front of you here. Um, let's see if I can turn it around. Won't be helpful. Around here. Um, how do we get this? Page around. Okay, I can't see where that little button is, but I'll. Um, yeah, here we go. We've got something here. Okay, so yeah, here's the Gomorrah, which says as follows. Yeah, we have a principle that, that we are taught, and that is that a person is doing a mitzvah, those sent to perform a mitzvah are not harmed, neither on their way to do the mitzvah nor upon their return. So yeah, this Gemara basically is, is jumping into our discussion as to how to understand why Shmuel the prophet, why he was so nervous to go and fulfill this mission because he should have been uh, he should have been protected you know and this is what the Gomorrah over says over here that you know look what Samuel says Samuel asked how can I go if Shaul finds out he'll kill me that's what uh, so Hashem then gave him a strategy how to work with it but many people ask how the Gomorrah asks you know how does this work that he he knows that a person, Hashem instructed him, there's a mitzvah from Hashem to go and deliver the message, anoint David HaMelech, even though it's like life-threatening, if Hashem told you to do it, and you're on your way to do a mitzvah, then you will be protected. So the Gemara answers, the Gemara says, look here, this principle is underscored the following. It's different where harm is likely. Means that means something's often. Hezeka is damage. So if the danger is likely to occur because it's so dangerous, then even a person engaged in a mitzvah will not necessarily be protected. So this is the this this question on the Rambam is as follows. The Rambam basically asked the question as if this was his own question. Number two, 
that you know the, the Rambam gave his own answer. But he this this commentary was wondering why the Rambam thought it was his own question. It was like the Gomorrah's question, and then Gomorrah gave an answer. They had faith, but it wasn't enough. Where you know to to um, to have faith that Hashem will protect you while you're doing a mitzvah is all good and well. But when the danger is so severe, the danger severe danger does not fall under the the this concept of being protected by Hashem, or you know on the way to do a mitzvah. So uh, as a result of this, this is what um, this is the story as far as this questioner is concerned. The Gemara asked the question and uh, the Gomorrah answered the question. Why was Shmuel scared? Because the danger was overwhelming. Now, in this Gomorrah, I can't, can't get around for some reason. But anyway, in the English, in the Hebrew, which is the right way around, funny enough. Um, yeah, in the actual original Gomorrah, I'll just read it through to you. Yeah, the Gomorrah says like this. You know, why was Yaakov afraid? Yaakov Avinu. Hashem, Hashem promised him that I'll guard you and I'll be with you throughout your entire sojourn. Uh, and therefore, when the Pasuk writes, and Yaakov was very afraid, why was he so afraid? So answers the Gomorrah, maybe he lapsed and he violated certain laws without even knowing about it. And as a result of this, um, as a result of this, he, uh, here we go, check it out. Thanks to find this. Sorry, I thought I had it. Oh, that's, that's the thing. Um, anyhow, can't get it somehow. The Gemara basically says Shema Yigromachet means that perhaps he will, he will, um, he had lost the promise. Perhaps he lost the promise while he was, you know, while he wasn't looking. Meaning, like the promise Hashem made him that I'll protect you, um, that 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 might have lapsed because he might have sinned in those twenty years. So when he was on the level when he first started out, he hadn't sinned yet, but um, but. Um, now that he was 20 years later, who knows if Hashem's promise would last because he might have changed, he might have done something that wasn't right. So again, just to summarize the question, the question here is, um, why, why is it that Yaakov Avinu was afraid? Surely he should have you know, trust in what Hashem told him and I would, I would protect you. Answers the Gemara, he thought he might have lost the protection because he would he he would have sinned. So Shmuel was scared because he didn't think the mitzvah protection that he might have had was strong enough to protect him against certain danger. And Yaakov Avinu was scared because he thought he might have sinned in the last twenty years and therefore lost the protection that Hashem promised him. So that's that's what the Gemara basically tells us over here. So again. The Rambam told us his, uh, his own answer. He thought that they slipped up. And this questioner says, how, why does the Rambam say that? Um, he, he, they didn't slip up. The Gemara tells you they didn't slip up. The Gemara tells you that they, they, had, they had room to fear because the protection that was promised them was almost conditional. Either 
you know, in Yaakov Avinu's case, he, it was conditional upon him not sinning. So this was the this is the question of this of this questioner. Anyhow, the the um, the Rabbi Chanan Vassalman, who's, who's the source that I quoted, um, essentially answered the answered the question as follows. Um, he said, "Look, I think that the questioner has misunderstood uh, the Gemara, and that um, what the Gemara really, what the Rambam is really asking, is a fundamentally different question from that in the Gemara, albeit subtle." The Gemara asked, or let's put it this way, let's work with the principle of the Gaon. The Gaon of Vilna tells us that faith is really on two tracks. Track number one is, if God promises you to protect you, you have to believe that the promise will be there. Track number two is, even if Hashem doesn't promise to protect you, it's, it's you and me, everybody else, that, that's, that's a, that's a God-fearing Jew, has to have faith in Hashem regardless of a promise. So now, using this understanding that there are two ways to see, or the two tracks upon which one's faith in Hashem can operate. One is when Hashem promises you a promise to protect you, believe that the promise is there. Number two is even if there's no promise, one has to have regular faith in Hashem, that Hashem, that you rely on Hashem's kindness to protect you. You rely on Hashem's rachmonis, His compassion, that He'll make sure no harm comes your way. Based on this, says Rabbi Khan Vassaman, he says to the questioner, I don't understand your, your question against the Rambam. The Gemara was talking about track A. Hashem promised them, um, Yaakov Avinu, explicitly, I promise you, I'll protect you. So Yaakov Avinu is bound to have faith in the promise that Hashem gave him. But why didn't he have faith? So uh, the Gemara says because the promise that he made that Hashem made is conditional upon him not sinning. And therefore he thought he might have sinned. So he had faith in the promise that Hashem gave him, but he thought he might have lost the promise. The Rambam is, is actually dealing with track B. The Rambam is not asking why didn't Yaakov Avinu trust in the promise that Hashem gave him. That the Gomorrah asked and solved it. The reason why he didn't believe in the promise is because the promise was conditional and he might have violated the condition of, say, of staying spiritually whole. But, says the Rabbi Khanavasman, the Rambam is asking a different question. When the Rambam asks, you know, how is it that Yaakov Avinu was afraid and answers that he slipped up, he shouldn't have been afraid, he's not asking about why didn't he trust in God's promise. He's asking why didn't he have communal God and bitachon, faith in Hashem, regardless of a promise. Like every one of us are all charged with faith in Hashem. No matter what happens, promise or no promise. And it's this that, this question that the Rambam is asking, why didn't Yaakov Avinu have what we call regular faith, you know, sense promise, no promise, why didn't you have faith? Can I do the promise? It could have been you and me out there, and Hashem would have asked us why we didn't have faith. So why didn't Yaakov Avinu have faith? He should be on an unbelievably high level that it, he could handle a crisis of this nature and not stress. But he stressed. So the Rambam answered, you see, no one's perfect. That's a very different question to the question of the Gomorrah. Why didn't he trust in the promise? The promise might have dissipated because he might have sinned. The Rambam saying, okay, forget the promise. He has to have regular faith like everybody. Where was that faith? Without the promise. Says the Rambam, 
You're right. I mean, that's a good question. And, uh, and, and you should realize how hard it is. And even the greatest of the greats can slip up and not have as much faith uh, and promise in, uh, in the Hashem's protection, you know, that, um, that we can expect, expect from them. That was the Rambam's, that was the Rambam's approach. Now, Rabbi Hanan Vassiman offers his own interpretation. Just a quick uh, little few words of background. Rabbi Hanan Vassiman, you might have heard his name, was uh, one of the greatest and most outstanding scholars, um, you know, pre-World War II. Uh, he was martyred in World War II by the Nazis uh, in, I think it's 1941. And uh, he and his whole yeshiva were rounded up um, with everybody in Baranovich and they were, they were shot. And um, the, the, the stories are incredibly, uh, you know, descriptive and sad. But ultimately the story goes that he, he was in America fundraising for his yeshiva. And they begged him to stay in America and save himself. And uh, he refused. And he went back to Europe, knowing that. He, and they said to him, you're going back to almost certain death. And he said that he cannot leave his students. He had a whole bunch of yeshiva bachrim that was studying with him. Can't leave them. Can't desert them. Couldn't leave them, even though his life was in danger. And uh, secondly, he said, I don't know how I'm going to how to survive as a from yid in America. This is in 1939. Um, he didn't know how he was going to survive in America. He couldn't, couldn't, couldn't deal with it. So uh, he left, and unfortunately, the whole the yeshiva was, you know, they 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 told him in advance the Germans, uh, they told him, listen, this date you have to feature at this at this plaza, and they uh, and then they would shoot them all, or they didn't. Anyway, so the story goes that he, for the last few remaining days before this date had arrived, he he taught over the subject matter of of being martyred al kiddush Hashem. And uh, he got all his yeshiva bachrim on the day they were supposed to be uh, to meet there. He got them all to dress up in Shabbos clothes um, in honor of this mitzvah. The ultimate of all mitzvahs is uh, being martyred for Hashem's uh, name. And they they were all shot there in that particular in that plot that that that, uh, that plaza there in 1941. You know, it's a very interesting and controversial discussion about whether he was right or wrong in doing what he did. But he was a tremendously, um, tremendous Talmud uh, Chochem and a, you know, a great individual. He was probably the most prominent of all, the, you know, the famous Chofetz Chaim's Talmudim. And uh, he um, he was the famous Talmud of Chaim Briska as well, of Chaim Soloveitchik. So he 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 was, uh, if he would have survived, he would have probably been the up and coming leading scholar of the generation. If he would have survived that whole ordeal, um, and if he would have made it through to to America, probably one of the most prominent people that we had at, at that at that point in time, but wasn't to be, and uh, unfortunately he was martyred. He was martyred there. Um, anyway, in his in his time as you know, Hashem should avenge his blood, and like with all of our uh, victims, and uh, we move on. We but we are left with these amazing commentaries on Talmud and uh, and philosophical ideas. So Rabbi Hanan basically tackles this problem and he writes in, uh, in a collection of essays, he writes as follows, he says, um, you know, with all, you know, putting what the Rambam said uh, aside, 
that Yaakov Avinu and Shmuel, in his case, um, slipped up, and 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 uh, on their level, they uh, they weren't perfect in their faith. Rebbechanan says, "I'd like to offer another another suggestion," and he says as follows: He says there's a famous Gemara that uh, you, we may have discussed in the past, and you may know from general knowledge, where Moshe Rabbeinu was um, receiving Torah from Hashem in Shemaim, and um, Hashem showed him, he sort of unveiled in front of him a, uh, if you will, if you will, a video of all, of all the great Tamir HaChomim that were to, to populate and fill the generations of Jewish history all the way through till the end of time. And uh, upon coming across Rabbi Akiva, Moshe Rabbeinu was unduly impressed with, uh, you know, he was so impressed with Rabbi Akiva. And he asked to see more about Rabbi Akiva. Hashem showed him how great Rabbi Akiva was. But he also showed Moshe Rabbeinu Rabbi Akiva's end, which was really, which was really gruesome. As you know, the Romans executed him uh, in a most violent way by combing his skin off with iron combs. And um, it was a real, a real painful death. And Moshe Rabbeinu was recoiled in horror at this, that such a great person of Torah would um would, would end like this and he challenged Hashem on it he said Zu Torah is this Torah and this is reward and uh, the Gomorrah records Hashem saying to Moshe Rabbeinu Amalei Hashem said to him Shtok, keep quiet Kach altav uh, this you know it's my mind at work here and no human being can understand my mind this this is what is in my in my thought process. Now this Gemara needs to be understood. So Rabbi Hanan takes us through a comment by the great Kabbalist um, Rabbi Horovitz, known by the book that he wrote, the Shnei Brit. He's known as the Shalom Hakadosh, a very uh, holy, pious individual, a Kabbalist, and he wanted to explain. Um, he explains a, a, a theory behind the way Hashem created the universe. And the Shalok says as follows. He says that we, taught, we taught in a Midrash that Hashem, when he was creating the universe, first thought to create the universe with strict Midat Adin, strict justice. What does that mean? What does it mean Hashem first thought that way? Hashem, Hashem it's not like he changes his mind. But Allah is the phrase in Hebrew. If we as human beings are trying to gain a glimpse into the way Hashem's thinking works, we, we have license to think along the following lines. That there, was, there were two tracks in the way Hashem creates the universe. There's the ideal track, and then there's the real track. The ideal is expressed in this, in this way that so it was in my uh, my first, my first approach, my first approach was to tell to the ideal philosophical way that a human being should in, interact with me during during their life is as follows: that you sh your reward, your reward should be deserved. When Hashem creates the universe. There's He created with mirat adin, strict justice. Strict justice means that you only get the reward if you deserve it. So just picture the following: all of us as Spiritual entities, all our neshamas, are all up in Shamaim in 
in God's mind, if you will, in God's database of information. They were waiting their time to be to be conceived and born. And um, one wonders why we have to leave Hashem's presence uh, in Shamaim to come down to this earth. We're already in heaven. We're already in Ganadan. Leave us there. But the famous Rav Shumbar Yochai in the Zohar teaches us a fundamentally important lesson. And that is that we should know that, yes, it's true, we were all in Ganadan before we were born, but we were there um, benefiting from a reward we had not earned. And in the words of the Zohar, that's called the bread of shame. Nama de Chisufa in Aramaic means the bread of shame. Person does something without deserving it, you know, you might like it at first, but deep down your neshama is embarrassed about it. And therefore, I take you out of the the blissful existence that you have as a neshama in my presence in Ganadan, and I send you um, down to to the world with a challenge, and that is to beat out the Yitzhahora. And that way, whatever reward you accrue will be real reward. There'll be no greater nachas and happiness that you'll feel as a reward for something that you did um, passing a particular test or struggle. And so that's our whole entire story. And it's it's couched in the Midrashic terms by saying that Hashem thought to, to go one way, um, but realized that it wouldn't work. The ideal philosophical idea that a human being comes down to earth and deserves his reward by we, by winning the struggle against the Yitzhara, for the majority of people, it's not going to end in a win. It ends in a loss. And so therefore, if I only give a reward based on strict justice of being deserved, we're going to have a collapse of, of, of humanity. And therefore, even though it's my first choice, says Hashem, uh, the nature of humanity uh, needs something else. And that is it needs a, it needs a hybrid compa- compassion has to be infused into the creation of the world together with strict justice. And therefore, even no matter if a person sins, Hashem gives them time to repent, Hashem gives them opportunities, there are tools and education to get around these things. And Hashem you know, deals with us in compassionate form, so that we can actually um, learn from our mistakes and, and, and work harder. And so... This is how the Shalom HaKadosh explains this particular Midrash, that first Hashem wanted to con- create the world in, you know, th- with strict justice. We, he explained that to mean that um, ideally the world should have been created uh, where you have people that are so good that they don't need Hashem's compassion, that they can be judged through the Midrash din. And... Uh, Yet most people have to have Hashem's compassion thrown into the system so we can survive, you know, the scrutiny of Hashem's attribute of justice. So Hashem created the world with a combination of these two character traits. Says Rebbe Hanan, let's use this theory to, to explain our whole, you know, discussion here. He says, there are certain people that have this op- this option to ask Hashem, ask Hashem a, a kind of a favor almost. And that is, if you get to a certain level of righteousness that is up there with the best, it's quite possible to suggest that these individuals would say to Hashem, 
Okay, Hashem, switch tracks for me. Take away all of your mercy because I don't want to get my reward and win the struggle with your help. I want to do it on my own. Now, don't do that at home, but this is what this is what was really lies behind Rabbi Hanan thinks behind great people like Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva's death is so is, is so wild in the scheme of things. Why would he suffer such a death? Possibly because Rabbi Akiva knew that his soul would atone for one of the souls of the brothers that sold Yosef and for many others that uh, any other reconnations until his point in time. And therefore Rabbi Akiva felt that he was strong enough to be able to handle the crisis and not lose faith. And he asked Hashem, switch me out of the track, which is the hybrid track of Rahmonas plus Din, of compassion plus strict justice. Switch me out of that track and, and, and only deal with me with strict justice. And therefore, if you do that, whatever happens to me, all my sins will be forgiven and all the sins of my previous reincarnated journeys will have been atoned for. And Hashem complied. And therefore, in that terrible, painful moments, or I don't know how long it took to kill him, Rabbi Akiva achieved a level that is that surpasses most human beings on the face of the earth, even our, you know, collection of great uh, sages going forward. So Rabbi Akiva switched out of this track of Mirata Din plus Rachamim, the hybrid track, and he went for the so-called very strict track. And says Rabbi Hanan, if Rabbi Akiva was able to, to, to switch tracks, how much more so Yaakov Avinu was. And so I'd like to explain our question using this theory. So let's quickly catch ourselves up and summarize again. And then we just apply the theory that we've just developed from Rabbi Hanan Vasman. And that is the question is, Yaakov Avinu was con going to con be confronted with Asaph. An entire army was coming to threaten him. And he was afraid. Why was Yaakov Avinu afraid? Why was he afraid? Where was his regular faith in Hashem? Where's his regular faith in Hashem? So the Rambam answered, he slipped up. He should have had faith. And Bukhanan saying, I'd like to suggest something else. Not that he slipped up. Not that he slipped up at all. But this is really what happened. What happens is, is as follows. When a person has faith in Hashem, what do you have faith in? That Hashem will protect you. Well, but you're not deserving of Hashem's protection. So why would he protect you? Because, you, you, you answer, we are taught that Hashem created the world and he put us all on this hybrid track. The hybrid track takes care of 99.9% .9 of people. Those people, all of us, who need Hashem's compassion to survive. And therefore, even if we're not deserving of Hashem's protection, we, are, we all travel through certain crises in our life and we trust in the fact that Hashem will protect us. Why? Because Hashem put us on this hybrid track and the hybrid track consists of Hashem's mercy and we trust in Hashem's compassion to protect us. We trust in God's kindness. I trust in your kindness. And so every human being who exists in the world that Hashem created where this world is governed by a hybrid combination of strict justice tempered with mercy, we are all charged by Hashem in the mitzvah of bitachon, of trusting God.
We are all told, you live in a world, you live on a track where there's compassion, you know, that, that dilutes the strict justice. And we are told that we always pray to Hashem that His kindness should overwhelm His strict justice. And therefore we are charged with faith in that system because Hashem created it, told us about it, and charged us with faith in the system that even if we aren't deserved, Hashem will protect us. You trust in my kindness. Bitachon is based on chesed. The, the faith in Hashem's protecting us is based on the compassion of God. Now, genius, says Shabbat well, according to the whole theory that we've developed, that there's certain people who are great enough to, to switch tracks and their relationship with Hashem is solely governed by strict justice, <clears throat> we're going to suggest that Yaakov Avinu is one of those unique people. That Yaakov Avinu said to Hashem, switch tracks for me. Switch tracks. Allow me to exist in your presence where I don't have any compassion from you whatsoever. That way I will deserve every bit of reward that I get. But more than that, Rabbi Khanan doesn't say this, I'm just suggesting it to you. More than that, we made a comment last week a little bit about this, and that is that Yaakov Avinu is in a very unique position. He is the exceptional individual out of all the forefathers, out of all the patriarchs, that is going to generate a family where the entire family is going to be the platform upon which the Jewish people is going to exist. So Avram Avinu had Yitzchak and Yishmael. Yishmael's out, Yitzchak's in. Yitzchak had Esav and Yaakov. Esav's out, Yaakov's in. But Yaakov is going to now crystallize this spiritual Jewish DNA, which is going to filter through to his children. None of them are out. They're all in. They're all in. And from that time on, the spiritual DNA of Yaakov Avinu, which is going to be cultivated and crystallized through his relationship with his with his wives, the matriarchs, all of that is going to now be passed through to every single Jewish generation. We are all living with a certain amount, hard to detect it uh, in a laboratory, but easy to detect it when you see what Jews are able to achieve when they have faith in Hashem. And therefore, across all the ages, anybody who's prepared to sacrifice their life for Hashem, has been infused with this unbelievable spiritual character trait from Yitzchak Avinu, from Avram, but specifically from Yaakov Avinu. And therefore Yaakov knows that in order for Am Yisrael to survive, they need to have within their genetic code, we're suggesting they need to have that quality of gene, of spiritual gene, that can withstand God's greatest attribute of justice. No matter what Hashem throws at us, Jews will survive. Even the Shoah. But that came from Yaakov Avinu. He's prepared to put his life on the line, face the angel of Esav, everything. He's prepared everything. And the way he's going to do it is to ask Hashem, I know the Jewish people are going to come from me, you've promised that to me, but I want them to have a quality, an, an edge of quality to their Neshoma that no one else has. And that is the survival gene. And to cultivate the survival gene, I'm going to ask you, Hashem, to switch tracks with me. Take me out of the track that governs the world 
the hybrid track where there's compassion and allow me to exist in a world where there's no compassion and you'll still see I'll survive. I'll still remain intact. And Sajabakhanan, if this theory is correct, how beautifully it explains our, our, our problem. Our problem is how did Yaakov fear Asaf? He should have had Bitachon in Hashem, he should have trusted in Hashem. Sajabakhanan, we explained to you that trust is based upon reliance on God's compassion. Yaakov in switched tracks. He's on the Mirat Tadim track. He's on the strict attribute of justice track. He's on the, the Din track. There's no Rachamim there. There's no compassion from God on that track. A person who exists on the track of no mercy does not need to have faith in Hashem. Because faith is based on compassion. There's no compassion here. There's no compassion. Yaakov's afraid. Because Yaakov has got no protection from Hashem. He's asked for, you know, let me give him that boxing ring without protection. Now, at that particular level, you assume you're going to win. But if your whole bitachon is based on the chesed of Hashem, and there's no there's no chesed, then there's no need for bitachon. And that's the genius of this suggestion, that Yaakov Avinu, you know, was, was, was so holy a person. And motivated, you know, I'm suggesting to crystallize the Jewish gene of survival. Um, that in order to do that, he asked Hashem something which most people most people cannot uh, contemplate, and that is, judge me, Hashem, deal with me by holding me accountable on the strictest level level possible, and therefore. If I'm asking to be held accountable on the strictest level possible and there's no compassion needed for me to operate on this track, then there's no mitzvah of bitachon that's on me. Because the mitzvah of bitachon is only on people where I'm, where I'm committed to trust in you, have faith in you that you're going to protect me based on your compassion. I've asked to be without your com com compassion and therefore, of course, I'm going to be afraid. You know, there's no guarantee of protection. So this is why Rabbi Khan Vassman explains what happens. And I just threw in there a, a possible motivation to what Yaakov Avinu had as to why he would do such a thing. But we should now expect whenever we see people that, um, that, are, that are thrown into crisis beyond what is deserved of them. And at the the kindness of Hashem is, is, not, is no longer with them, that we can't understand and appreciate on what level they're operating. And Hashem will do it. Sometimes people, we don't even understand, we don't even know that they, that they are tzaddikim. But if a neshama has to go through pain and suffering in this world of such a caliber, that it's almost clear to us that this, this person is not blessed to be, to, to be governed by the track of chesed. But rather, you can just see their lot in life is, is so, so horrific. Well, then you must know one thing. They are operating and they are living within a relationship with Hashem, maybe not even of their choice, where there's no midat chesed. But it's of such a sublime level that even when their end comes, and it might be painful, but the reward and the level of their neshama and its impact on future generations, you know, cannot be underestimated. You know, it's 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 so sublime. 
this is just an opening of a very difficult concept that is worth uh, contemplating when one thinks about number one the concept of bitachon that it's related to chesed and number two what happens to certain people you and i can be sitting in the same room and hashem can decide um you know to 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 work with one person on the hybrid track and another person without the hybrid track and we don't know how we don't know why we don't know this entire calculation of the journeys of the soul we don't know it but this is just another element that helps us understand and get a slight better picture you know of what this of what this all means so and in this particular case this unique golden insight of Rabbi Hanan Vassaman helps us you know unlike the Rambam the Rambam was willing to say Yaakov Avinu slipped up Shmuel Navi slipped up Rabbi Hanan tried to find a way where you didn't have to theorize that they slipped up they they possibly were living on this they chose to ask to live on this different track and they, and in that track where there's no compassion there's actually no need for bitachon it doesn't exist you're on your own you've asked to be on your own so you're on your own that's the that's the genius of this uh you know of this of this approach and uh you know and hopefully now in uh, you, you we, we always reflect on 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 martyrs in jewish history that have that have literally given up their lives and so many we, we know a lot but not too many have passed with flying colors people just no matter who you are shem can decide to govern your life with a different type of a track and uh, we should always those people who are almost chosen by shem for this kind of life it's really harsh but at the same time we have to give him hope and we have to give hope to ourselves that shem knows what he's doing and whether we approve it we don't approve it we're comfortable not comfortable Hashem decides all these things and some of most of us are you know live a, a decent life and therefore we we should thank our lucky stars that we don't have to go through this major challenge of living without Hashem's uh, compassion in the equation and that's Hashem actually said it's true I, I thought originally I could con, 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 you know create a world like this but I can't uh, the average person can't handle it and so it's therefore unique individuals to to contemplate and the other hidush is people can ask to be uh, on that particular on that particular track all right so we'll leave it yeah and uh you know we uh, should um have a great holiday and a good time to to consolidate uh with our families and friends etc be safe be well and uh look forward to rejoining you for uh, another year of learning um Thank you, Shakaya. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. Pleasure. 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 Wonderful. Have a good break. Okay. All the best. All the best. Thank you, Rabbi. Look after yourself and take it easy. (laughs) Baruch Hashem. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. All the best. All the best. Thank you, everybody. Be safe as well. Yes, I know. Same same to you. Same same to you. Bye, everybody. Good day. Good break. Thank you, Rev.